Hebrews 13, beginning at verse 17. Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Last week, we looked at verse 17, and we took the really kind of an overview, first of all, looking at spiritual authority and what the Bible has to say about who spiritual authority is, where it comes from. Of course, we looked at that passage in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, where the Lord gave gifts to men. And among those were, of course, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, and they were given for the benefit of the strengthening of the maturing and perfecting of the body of Christ, the church. And so we talked about church leadership, talked about the different titles that the scripture uses, pastor, elder, overseer, or bishop, and really talking about the different roles of those in spiritual authority. But as we noted in verse 17, it says that these people are they who watch for your souls. They're watching for your souls. Last week we talked about how many people are out there watching out for different aspects of your life. You know, we've got financial advisors to help us watch out for our finances. We've got, you know, doctors looking after our health. We've got nutritionists out there to help us get the right balance in our meals. But who is watching out for your soul. Your finances will eventually run out or you will leave them behind. Your health will eventually be gone. Okay. You may never eat a balanced diet. Okay. But your soul is going to live forever. Who is watching out for your soul? And this really is one of the responsibilities, the great responsibility of spiritual leadership. Watching for your souls as they that must give account. As we came to the close of uh, last week's message, I made this comment. Not everyone who is chastened receives the blessing that chastening can bring. And not everyone who is under the spiritual authority of a pastor receives benefit. Okay, Not everyone who is chastened receives the blessing of the chastening. And that was very apparent back in Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 11, it says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby, or unto them who are trained, who respond correctly to chastening. You know, as, as parents, we discipline our children. Sometimes it takes the form of a, a chastening, maybe a, some corporal punishment. But they don't always respond correctly, do they? And sometimes they are not benefited by the chastening. 
Now they become angry or resentful, and that rebellion welling up in the heart. And they really lose out on the blessing, the intended blessing of that chastening. So not everyone who's chastened receives the blessing that chastening can bring. And on the other hand, or the same, on the same note here, not everyone who is under the spiritual authority of a pastor receives benefit. And as a pastor, I can certainly say that's true. There are some who respond well. There are others who do not. There are some who listen. There are some who don't. There are some who take advice. There are others who don't. And these verses here are given to help us respond correctly to spiritual authority. He's speaking about spiritual authority in Hebrews. And you think for a moment, well, how does what he's saying here about obeying the spiritual leadership, how does that tie in with really the message of Hebrews? Well, what is the theme of Hebrews? It's being faithful. Being faithful to that faith which Christ has already finished. There's nothing we can add to it, but be faithful to the faith. And spiritual leaders are given by God to aid and to help God's people and encourage them in being faithful to the end. That's why we gather together, to encourage one another, to edify one another, to strengthen one another. For what purpose? To endure. Keep going. Keep up the good fight. Okay? Endure to the end. Our spiritual leadership is God-appointed. As it says in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, is uh, Paul is there meeting with the Ephesian pastors and elders that had come to meet with him. He says to them, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. They were not self-appointed. Holy Spirit had made them overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. In John chapter 13 and verse 20, John chapter 13 and verse 20, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. And so when we, when we pay attention to those whom God has placed in spiritual leadership, who are we really honoring? Who are we paying attention to? To God. Okay? This is his word, his appointment. He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. Now, <clears throat> our response to spiritual leadership is really indicative of our response to the Lord. Of course, Ephesians chapter 5 speaks about that where Paul is giving the analogy and talking about the relationship of the church to Christ and using the analogy of the marriage relationship, okay, of a wife submitting to her husband, the church submitting to Christ, okay, the husband as a picture of Christ loving and protecting the wife as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And so we need to make sure that our response 
to spiritual leadership is what God desires for us. And what are the responsibilities that spiritual leaders have? Well, of course, we saw that last week. First of all, teaching. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Pastors and teachers, or pastor teachers, they're to be feeding the flock, to be teaching the Word of God. As you read in the qualifications of a pastor, what are the qualifications? One of them that is unique to the pastor is apt to teach or able to teach. Now, he may meet all the other requirements, but if he can't teach, then he shouldn't be a pastor because teaching is one of the primary duties of the pastor. Teaching, teaching the Word of God. But not just teaching, they're to be overseers. And this really talks about their managerial or their administrative responsibilities in the church. As Paul was admonishing Timothy in his epistles to Timothy, he says, this is how you ought to behave in the house of God. And here's how you ought to address older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women. This is the way that it ought to happen in the church. Here is the correct behavior, the correct decorum in the church. In 1 Timothy, uh, in verse, at chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says there, it says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. And he's also, a, we talk about teaching, the oversight, and also that word pastor. And that really means shepherding, deals with feeding the sheep, shepherding the sheep. Now, here in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. The rule. You just, when you just hear that word, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, you think of a ruler or someone with authority, this top-down, authoritative, maybe a military structure. But really, that's not what it's talking about here in this passage. To rule. That word in the Greek means to provide direction and leadership. To provide direction and leadership. It means to go first and to lead the way. How does a shepherd lead sheep? From behind? No, he does not drive sheep. He leads them. He goes in front of them. And they follow him. Jesus talks about that in John. He says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So what is a shepherd? What is this? It means to rule. It means to lead by example. It means to provide direction and leadership. A pastor is not one who gets up in a pulpit and says, you do this and do that and do that. Now, I don't have to, but you do it. Okay. He leads by example. So this rule, again, it's, it's not a military type of rule, but rather a loving leadership, providing direction, going first. And in light of the message of Hebrews, what is our response to be to leadership? Well, the response is supposed to be obey and submit. And it is not unreasonable 
that this response is given. It's not threatening. It's not unreasonable. And a spiritual leader is one who watches for your souls. To watch. And that word means to be awake, alert. It's about you know, thinking of someone who's sitting up in a, in a tower, maybe of a city on a wall, and looking out, keeping an eye out. While everyone is resting and they're keeping an eye out for the enemy, they're not sleeping. Their eyes are wide open. They're looking, staying alert. A spiritual one who is alert or watching for your soul. One who is interested in your soul. You think about it. If someone is interested in your soul, what are they going to be interested in? Think about that. One who is interested in your soul, what will they be interested in? Well, they'll be interested in the life decisions that you make. Okay? They'll be interested in your friends, the friends that you keep, your associations. They're going to be interested in your goals, your values, interested in your attitudes, your responses, interested in your relationship with the Lord, your walk with Him, your time in His Word. That all is part of someone who is interested in your soul. That's what they'll be looking out for. They won't be so concerned as to what color you paint your kitchen or the fabric you choose for your drapes in your living room, but rather the spiritual aspects of your life, those things that are meaningful and significant. The book of Hebrews is a book of exhortation. You know, as you look at the end of this book, we're coming up towards it. And he says in verse 22, And I beseech you, brethren, suffer or allow, permit, bear with the word of exhortation. This is a book of exhortation. What is exhortation? Well, if you look at this, this book, and we've looked at them, there are five significant passages with great warnings. Great warnings in this, passage, in this book. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 2, the very first verse, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, based on what he has just written in the first chapter, he says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? So here, this great concern in this first warning, do not neglect salvation. Make sure that you have laid hold of Christ. Make sure of your salvation. Great warning here. And there's warnings in chapter 3 and 4, chapter 6, chapter 10, uh, chapter 12, the final warning that we see in verse 25 that we just were quoting this morning in our Bible study hour, see that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, how shall we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven? Great words of warning, warning in this book. 
And so Hebrews is a book of exhortation. Different books in the New Testament have different stresses, different focal points. Look at Galatians. Galatians is a book directed at correcting the theology of the believers at the church in Galatia. Their theology was they had people coming in that were turning them from faith back to works. Paul was gravely concerned about that. So there's a book directed to correct their theology. In 1 Corinthians, all the things that Paul deals with in that book. What's he dealing with? Well, there's divisions in the church. There was open immorality in the church. There was the way that they were handling the the Lord's table. There was uh, brothers and sisters going to uh, lawsuits against one another. And really, the direction of that book is what? It's correcting their behavior. Correcting their behavior. First Peter, that epistle, what's it concerned with? Well, it's concerned with encouraging believers who are suffering great persecution. And so here, spiritual leadership is to be concerned with spiritual welfare. Concerned to watch for your soul. Of course, when we think about Spiritual leadership, you think about this verse, what it says in verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Well, it would cause one to say, well, what is the extent of the authority of a pastor? What is the extent of the authority of a spiritual leader? I mean, obviously they have some authority. It says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. But what is the extent of the authority? I think it's clear that the scriptures teach that the authority of any shepherd, any overseer or bishop is bound by the word of God. His job is to teach and to explain the word of God, to make it clear, but also to really encourage people and to stress obedience to the word of God. Simply put, obedience to the Word of God. If you turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And Paul is encouraging Titus. He was a pastor there on the island of Crete. He had a difficult job. There are some comments made about the, the Cretans there, which was not necessarily complimentary, but they were needing some correction. And here, Paul speaks to Titus. And in chapter 2, in verse 15, he says, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Well, what was the extent of his speaking, his exhorting, and his rebuking? They were the things that Paul was encouraging him to teach the church. And you can go back and read, of course, in, the, in that chapter, chapter 2. Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Verse 1, he addresses the aged men. He says, Titus, you're going to have to address the aged men. And this is how they're to live. Verse 3, the aged women. Verse 4, the younger women. Verse 5, the younger women. Verse 6, the young men. 
He addresses each of these individuals in the church and says, this is what you need to teach them. And he says, you exhort them, you teach them, and you rebuke them with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So the application of the word of God may include encouragement. It may include warning, but it also might include rebuking. So what is the extent of the authority of the spiritual leader? It's bound up in the word of God. A pastor has no authority outside of the word of God. And it's direct application. You know, I've, I've heard of, we've all probably heard of abuses of authority, abuses of power. And those are not uncommon, even in the church. That happens. Um, but this is why it is wise for you to know the word of God. When you hear spiritual authority, what do you do? You judge it based upon the word of God. Because authority comes from the Lord. Any authority that a church leader has must be from God. It must be delineated in his word. I don't have the authority to tell you what job to take. I don't have the authority to tell you where to move, what to do, things like that. But what Scripture clearly teaches, I'll stand on and you'll hear me thunder away at it. Now, sometimes you need to hear some thundering. Other times, some refreshing rain is nice. Okay? Try to avoid the lightning. But, you know, that is the job of your spiritual leader. Watching for your souls. Concern that no one comes short of the grace of God. Now, he says in this verse, again, note here in verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. How do our responses to spiritual authority how do our responses help them? Did you know that your responses to your pastor, your responses to spiritual authority, the way you respond actually can help the spiritual authority? Note here, he says, obey. This is a unique word. It really is. It's an interesting word. It's not necessarily the word that you're thinking of. Okay, the word obey is used 55 times in the New Testament, but this particular one is just used a few times. Obey. This word means to allow one's self to be persuaded. Think about that. To allow oneself to be persuaded, to assent to obey or to follow. I want you to think about that. It means putting your confidence in someone or relying upon someone or to trust them. So when he says here, obey them that have the rule over you, what is he saying? He is saying, allow yourself, put yourself in a position to be persuaded. 
You say, wait a minute. That's, a, that's an interesting way of putting it. He's not saying the same thing as Ephesians 6.1, where it says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. You just do what they say, period. But he is saying here, you allow yourself to be persuaded. You agree, assent to obey or to follow. Now, I want you to think about that. Who should you be following? Remember what Paul said? He said, be ye followers of me as what? As I am of Christ. And that's the important thing to realize. When you are going to obey spiritual leadership, when you are going to consent to be persuaded by what they are saying, you'd better know what they're saying. You better make sure that what they're saying is according to God's will, according to God's word. Just because a spiritual leader says something, does that necessarily make it right? What did the Bereans do when Paul spoke to them? They checked him out. They checked him out. Went through the scriptures to see whether what he was saying was so. If you don't do that, folks, listen, that is on you. That is your responsibility. If you don't do that, you'll be like, I don't know what percentage of it is, but of Christianity today where people just blindly following their leaders. It takes time to observe spiritual leadership. You know, when people come to this church and they're interested in the church and they're thinking about maybe joining, you know what I tell them? Don't you dare join right away. Now, you'd think, well, that's not a good way to, that's not a good way to advertise your church. I tell you, you come at least for six months and see what we're all about. You need to know what you're getting yourself into. You need to consider before you join a church. You need to know what you're joining. Do you agree with what's being preached? Is what's being preached biblical? Is it true? Is it God-honoring? And so it takes time to observe spiritual leadership. But observation of spiritual leadership, if it's the right kind of biblical leadership, is going to build confidence and trust. You know, some of you have been here for many years. Some of you maybe not for so many years. But you know what? Some of you have been here long enough that I could come and I could tell you something very direct, very direct, and you would not be offended. And you would take it seriously and you'd take it to heart. Now, if someone just comes in on day one and I walk up to them and I observe something, I said, hey, let me uh, tell you something. You need to hear this. They would just... They'd probably walk out and never show up again. They'd be all upset. Okay. Confidence and trust is built up over time. Over time. Let me go back in this chapter and remind you of what it says in verse 7, where he says, Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God. There is a past history of faithfulness to the word of God. Remember them, he says whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. 
you've got a whole period of time to look at there. And you look for the consistency. It's their faith that you follow. No spiritual leader is perfect. Yes, they will fail, but don't follow their failures. Follow their faith. Whose faith follow. Observation builds confidence and trust. And then I want you to go back. If, go back to Titus chapter 2. I left out one little part of Titus chapter 2 that Paul instructs. Because I want you to notice this. Paul instructs Titus in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Look what he says. Not only does he tell Titus how to instruct the aged men, the aged women, the young men, the young women, but he addresses Titus. And look what he says in verse 7. In all things, showing thyself a pattern or to be a pattern of good works. And we talked about leadership. What is it? It's going before. It's setting the example. And this is what he is stressing to Titus. You make sure that in all things you are showing, demonstrating a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Then he goes on and tells them how to exhort servants, masters. Now, isn't that, a great, isn't that great what he says there to Titus? Listen, Titus, if you're going to have a right influence, then you're going to have to be very careful about what? The way you live. You're supposed to be setting a pattern. In the way that you live, you need to have purity in the doctrine that you teach. In your words way you live. Listen, if church leadership is going to expect people to yield or to allow themselves to be persuaded, then church leadership must first show a pattern to follow. Observation builds confidence and trust, and it takes time to observe spiritual leaders. You note the pattern of correct behavior. That is absolutely important. But not only does he say obey, he also says, and submit, and submit yourselves. Submit means to yield or to give way. And he's talking about the response to instruction and direction. There's a great illustration, I think, which, which will picture this for you, will illustrate this. In Luke chapter 5, way back in the Gospel of Luke, here is Jesus, and he's calling his disciples. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is speaking by the Sea of Galilee. He's there on the shore, and people are just crowding around. And so it's to be heard. It says in verse 2, the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. In verse 1, he stood by the lake of Genesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. 
And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, or Simon Peter, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Get the picture here. Jesus, he's teaching. He's on the shore and the people are just coming down. They probably can't hear in the back because he's you know, on a lower elevation. And so he looks and here are a couple of boats, fishing boats. No one's using them. The fishermen up there, they're just cleaning their nets. And he asks Simon Peter, says, listen, but just push this ship off the shore just a little bit and leave it tied up. I'll sit here and I can teach and that way the people will hear me. And Peter obliges, certainly. So he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. Now, in verse 4, it says, Now when he had left speaking, so I don't know how long he spoke, but after the message and when he was done speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft, or let down your nets to catch the fish. And Simon answered him, like any fisherman would, and Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. But look what he says next. He says, Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break, and they beckoned unto their partners, Bring the other boat! They were in the other ship, and they that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. So many fish. And of course, it says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And of course, the Lord calls him. He says, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Follow me. Back here. Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. You know, here was Peter. Here was this teacher, Jesus. Peter's experience told him one thing. But Jesus said something else. But Peter's response was, nevertheless, at thy word, I'll do what you said. Did Jesus say, get out there, hurry up, get your nets, you just obey me? And I, you know, No, Jesus said, go do this and catch some fish. And what did Peter do? He allowed himself, he put himself under, even though he thought That's, that doesn't really make sense to what I know, but nevertheless, and what did God do? Boy, Peter learned something real fast, okay? Submit, to yield or to give way to instruction and direction. Obey, to allow oneself to be persuaded. This is the right response to God-ordained spiritual authority. And God blesses. Now, we, we live in a day where we have access to all kinds of information, more than they did in the Bible times, so much more. You've got the internet, you've got bookstores, and you can find all kinds of instruction by purported spiritual authorities. 
And some of it is good. Some of it is not. But what did Paul say about this? If you go back to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter three and verse 22. Paul is speaking about different voices, different people, different ministers. Remember, they were struggling over, well, I'm of Paul, I'm a Peter, I'm of, you know, I'm of Paulus, oh, I'm of Christ. Christ was not divided. And he says here, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and ye are Christ's. And Christ is God's. And all of this is for your benefit. But he goes on in chapter 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this. Note verse 15. Well, let me read verse 14. He says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ... Yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. What is he saying? Listen, there are all kinds of instructors out there. And though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ... There are not many who care for your soul. There are not many who know you as a father knows his son. And this is what he just said. He says, be, he says I write unto you as beloved sons. I'm warning you. There are a lot of voices out there. And though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. And I've, I've heard of people who say, well, I don't go to church. I just listen to... And they name some name on TV and, oh, he's such a great speaker. I'm so encouraged and challenged. And Does that person know you? Is that person watching for your soul? No. Now, some of the things they may say may be beneficial, and that's, that's fine. But you know what? That's why God gave the gift of pastors to know the flock, to feed the flock intimately involved with their lives so that you know, hey, I know what you're going through. Know the personal struggles that they've got, even in their home. Why? So that he can help watch for your soul. I mean, I... I, 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 I hear people all the time, oh, have you ever you know, heard of so-and-so and, and this and that? And, oh, man, this guy, he's, he really likes to talk about this. And, I, okay. and whenever I hear that as a pastor, I'm thinking, okay, I know I don't know that guy, or I really don't know what he says. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, hmm, how much weight do you put on this man's words? Do you know him? Is he helping you? Okay. Again, you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, and we live in a day of a lot of information out there. Some of it's helpful. But there are those who watch for your souls, and these are the ones where he says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your 
souls. Listen, if your spiritual leaders are faithfully teaching Scripture, if they're faithfully following the Word of God, then what, how should you respond? Well, seek their counsel. Do they give consistent biblical counsel? Think about that. Think about the counsel that you receive from spiritual leadership. Do you receive consistently biblical counsel? That is absolutely important. Or do you just get opinions and um, thoughts that really aren't scriptural? What kind of advice do they give? What kind of counsel do the spiritual leaders give? Is it consistently biblical? Well, if it is, listen, submit to their leadership. Follow their example. That's what he's saying. Realize that God has put them there for you and your spiritual benefit. They watch for your souls. And when you submit to spiritual leadership, what are you doing? You are actually submitting to God's appointment. Again, when I talk about this, I am talking about within the bonds of what Scripture says. I am not talking about cult-like following of human personalities. I am talking about following Christ. A wise man receives reproofs and receives instructions. You know, we've, all of us who've had children... I've probably all heard this line come from our children. And I've heard it more than you because I have more kids than you. It's this. Little children who are not properly trained. And by the way, this is a characteristic of a child that's not properly trained. That doesn't mean that you failed in your training, but maybe you just haven't got there yet, but this has to be corrected. I'm putting this as a precursor to what I'm about to say. But little children who are not properly trained often respond to adults with... You're not the boss of me. Anybody ever heard that? You ever heard that? I mean, you as a parent, you tell your kid what to do and they'll, they'll obey you. But as soon as someone else, another adult maybe in the church, sees your child maybe misbehaving and they say, hey, stop that. You're not the boss of me. Okay. Or, you know, someone else. And what do we have to do to, to our child? We have to train them. Hey, listen. I don't care if it's mom or dad or if it's somebody else. If they're an adult and what they're telling you to do is right, then you better listen up. An untrained child is one who goes around and says, I don't listen to anybody but my mom and dad. And bleh, on you. <laughs> we've, we've seen that here. Okay, but listen. Sadly, there are people in the church that exhibit that same attitude. Eh, you're not the boss. You're not going to tell me what to do. I, I enjoy the fellowship. I enjoy hearing the inspiring services, but don't you dare think that you're going to tell me what to do. Folks, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to tell you what God has told you to do in his word. Amen. I'm just a mouthpiece. I'm just a messenger. Okay? And spiritual leadership, spiritual leadership needs to be listened to. A wise man receives reproofs, receives instructions. Note here, though, there is an effect that you'll have on your spiritual leadership. You are going to have an effect on your spiritual leadership. It says, they watch for your souls as they that must give account. 
that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Spiritual leadership is going to stand someday and give account. That is a sobering thought. Someday, I, as your pastor, am going to stand before the Lord and give account of you. I'm going to give account of myself too, but I'm going to give an account of those who are under my spiritual leadership. Now, it says here that they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. And I'd always thought here that, well, that means that when I speak to the Lord about so-and-so, I can be happy about the report I'm going to give. But that really isn't the tenor of the passage. The way it's written is that they may do what with joy and not with grief. It's talking about watching for your souls. It's not talking about that great day of accountability down the road. It's talking about now. That they may watch for your souls with joy and not with sighing. That's what the word grief means. Oh, sadness, sighing. Paul expressed this over and over in the New Testament, didn't he? Read about his comments, and he would write to churches. When he talks in the Corinthians about the care of the churches and about the affliction and the anguish that he suffered, and it wasn't a physical suffering. He was talking about his burden for these believers at these different churches and the struggles that they were going through, and it just so burdened him. And then there's the, the, the two books there, uh, Philippians and also Thessalonians, where um, in his introduction in chapter 1, he says in verse 3 about the Philippians, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Wow, this was a church that he delighted in. They were doing well. First Thessalonians chapter one, Paul here, he says in verse two, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our father. And he talks about their testimony being heard. So he didn't need to say anything. And he delighted in that. He was watching for their souls and he was able to do it with joy. Why? Because they were obeying what he was teaching them. They had submitted themselves. They had yielded themselves to be convinced of the truth that he was teaching. There are other churches that weren't so thrilling as far as their behavior. They're a cause for great concern or grief. Paul talks about that in the epistle to the first Corinthians. There's great concern for them and the sin that was there in the church. In third, the third epistle of John, there in the New Testament, in the ninth verse, it's only one chapter long, but the ninth verse. Sorry, it's the fourth verse. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. 
That's the best. Even as a parent, what do we delight in? When our children choose to walk in truth, to do that which is right, it thrills our hearts. It thrills our souls. There is no greater joy for a godly parent than to see their children going on spiritually for the Lord. That, I mean, that's more important than anything on this earth. There's no material possessions that would bring you greater delight than the spiritual delight of seeing your children follow the Lord. And this is what John says. <laughs> I have no greater joy. There's nothing that tops this than to see that my children, he's not talking about his physical sons and daughters. He's talking about his spiritual children, those whom he was pastoring, those he was ministering to, and to see them walk in the truth. Greatest joy. I'm sure Paul would have said the same thing, maybe in different words. But there is no greater joy than to see that those who are under spiritual leadership are walking in truth. And of course, it's profitable. That's what he says. It's unprofitable if you don't. But obviously, the, by contrast, it is profitable for you if you do obey and submit. He goes on in verse 18, gives another word of instruction here. The first one he did was in verse 7, remember. Verse 17, obey and submit. In verse 18, pray. Pray for your spiritual leadership. He says, pray for us. We trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to behave or to live honorably, honestly. That's what that word honestly means, to live honorably. What is he recognizing here? Hey, listen, the writer of Hebrews is recognizing that he is dependent upon God for his right example. Pray for us. Pray for your spiritual leadership. That they'll live with a good conscience and walk in a path that is worthy of following and all things willing to live honorably or honestly. Of course, verse 19, he says, I beseech you rather pray for this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. That may become, be able to come back. Whether he was in prison or not, whoever was writing this is asking for their prayer. Now, as you look at this passage, of course, there are, there are kind of two sides. There's the leadership. There's the obedience and submission. But as I read this and as I studied this, the weight of this is almost grievous. And what do I mean by this? The weight and the responsibility that God places upon spiritual leadership is frightful. I don't know the best word to put. Awesome. James, the very next book in your Bible, in chapter 3, verse 1, says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. What a fearful thing to be in a position of spiritual leadership and to abuse it. Or to say, yes, follow me, and not to be following Christ. What a horrific, horrific responsibility. 
Remember what Jesus said about those who caused offense? That doesn't, when it says talking about causing offense, isn't to say, oh, I didn't like your dress today and offending someone. No, he's, that offense there is to cause someone to stray off the path of righteousness. It is better for them that a millstone be hung around their neck and they be dropped into the sea. That's how serious this is. And how many times have we seen purported spiritual leadership not living, teaching, and acting according to the truth of God's word? And we just see devastating results in the lives of those who are following them. Now, let me say this. If you're not following a true spiritual leader, that's your fault. There's responsibility both ways. Paul says, you follow me as I am following Christ. You had better make sure that your spiritual leadership is following Christ. Because if they're not and you're following them, boy, you're just going to blindly head where they lead you. Again, this is where the Bereans came in. And Paul delighted in them. He was quite pleased with them because they went home after the messages and sat down and said, is that he said true? You know, they, they would search the scriptures daily to see whether those things that Paul said were true. You have to do diligence. You'd better know the word of God. But when you have leaders, spiritual leaders, who are faithfully teaching scripture, who are living lives according to scripture, then listen to them. Seek their counsel because they are there to watch for your souls. They are God's gift to the church. Like I said, it doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. But you can observe their lives and see the way they are living. Observe their teaching. And it takes time. Again, it takes time to build that trust. I remember when I was first in the ministry, I remember when I was first married, and I said, I can't wait till I'm 50. And what I meant by that is, by the time I'm 50, my children are going to be at such an age where people are going to look at them, and they're going to know whether or not what I've said was true. And I'm like, God help me, <laughs> okay? Well... Well, I'll be 52 this year. I can't wait till I'm 70. Okay. Now, what do I mean by that? Listen. Proven track record. That's the consistency that we're looking for. And you live in such a way that people can look at your life and see, yes, there's consistent biblical living. It's one of the reasons that they, it says in the scripture, don't lay hands on any man suddenly. Should a man just as soon as he's saved be put into the pastorate? No. One of the reasons is he'd be lifted up in pride. But no, there has to be a time of proving. He even says about, about the deacons, let them first be proved and then let them hold the office of a deacon. What is the proving time? What is it? It's to demonstrate that there is a life worthy of emulation. There is a life that shows a pattern of what? 
Well, just as he said in Titus chapter 2, showing thyself a pattern of good works, of right living, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness. Listen, that means correct, straight teaching from the Word of God. These are the things you examine in a spiritual leader. Does he have a pattern of good works? Is his doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity? Does he use sound speech that cannot be condemned? There it is. There's the standard. And you be wise in following spiritual leadership. But when God gives you spiritual leaders who fit these qualifications, and your response ought to be, obey them. Allow yourself to be influenced by them. Listen to what they're saying. Submit yourselves to their authority. And again, their authority is what's bound by the word of God. And listen, you do that and you'll be blessed. And if you'll do that, that is a safe place to be. Because again, it's biblical. It's bound by the word of God. It's within the boundaries of what God is teaching. That's where we all ought to be. If you have any questions about this, we have discussion time after lunch. So let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you again for this passage before us. Lord, may we be thankful, Lord, for the spiritual leadership which you have given to the church. And Lord, we help us to be faithful and be in prayer for our spiritual leaders. Lord, help us to be wise and discerning. But Lord, help us to have that attitude that Peter had. Lord, I've got my experience, but nevertheless, I will, at your word, let down the net. Lord, we thank you that you are the head of the church. You are the good shepherd. Lord, help us as we as we walk, that we would follow in your steps. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.